0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with yet another Tim May podcast. And I've got yet another co-pilot riding with me today in this magnificent flying machine. His name is Matt Wilhelm. Matt, stay off the buttons. Just stay off the buttons. But uh, Matt Wilhelm, welcome once again to the Tim May podcast, my man. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I enjoy my time with you, and
0: sometimes, uh, you know, the, the 15 or 20 minutes we have slotted is never enough for us.
1: Yeah, exactly. It flies by, as they all say it goes, but but I digress. Let's just jump right into it, Matt. Uh, Jim Knowles has been on the job now for five months. Uh, Ohio State has had a spring game. Uh, well, it wasn't really a spring game. It was a spring scrimmage, which I prefer because you have more good versus good than that, and, uh, and you have... You, the, you don't have these disjointed teams so you a little bit see a little bit of a strength factor going on there obviously this new uh four five defense are going to play they didn't reveal a lot of things in the spring game really didn't let us get to see a lot of what's going to be exotic about it uh for one of another term but uh just your general as we as we head into the summer just your general overall feel for what you've heard a little bit you've seen of jim Knowles and the jim Knowles defense what what just impresses you, I guess, about him? I mean, you well, know, you've heard conversations with him, et cetera. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, of course. I think first and foremost, uh, if you recall us doing our in-season, uh, you know, podcast last year, the one thing that I brought up was a, defensively was a lack of an identity. You know, who yeah. are we? What do we do? Are we a coverage team? Are we a pressure team? Um, and and because I think there was so much inconsistency, You know, and a a lot of the tizzy was made by the way that Oregon kind of manhandled us on our own home field. Um, And that really never changed. And and I do think the one uh, and it's yet to be determined, although we have the, you know, the horses in the stable now with this gym, defense, defenses, you know, there was not the uh, dominant pass rusher uh, along the front line. Like we have become so accustomed to probably almost over the last decade between the Bosa brothers and, and Chase Young, it's been, it's been amazing. And it's been, you know, that one guy delivers that play when you need it um, in the biggest scenarios. And so we, we lacked that last year. Um, and I think this year, uh, you, you, you mentioned Jack Sawyer, you've got, you know, JTT down there on the front. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to look different, I think, which, uh, you know, brings a sense of optimism, because what we were used to wasn't working. And so I think, uh, you know, Buckeye fans and, you know, Buckeye football fanatics will be encouraged by the fact that we'll look a little bit different. Uh, I think, uh, you know, having not watched a whole lot of the spring game, um, understanding the concept uh, with my history in the national football league and playing in multiple schemes, I think what the four, two, five will give us, it gives us an extreme amount of flexibility. Um, And what, what do I mean by saying that, you know, what we saw, will have what we saw was probably like an A level, a surface level of what this defense will get to. And I'm sure Knowles and his defensive coaches have a B and a C as players develop and players start to grasp concepts. I think in many cases throughout training camp when players start to grasp roles, meaning this is the position he's going to be, you know, whether it's right side or left side, whether it's that Leo, you know, up with you know standing on in a two-point or down with a hand on the ground. Jim Knowles in five months doesn't know everything he wants to know about each and every player. There's so many more scenarios uh, that have to be, that these players have to be put in Uh, predominantly it happens in practice. Uh, They don't play any preseason games. I think uh, a lot has to get figured out by that opener against Notre Dame because of what that game will mean for our season. Um, But then I think after that, so the prep is truthfully, it's you're watching a boatload of Notre Dame. You're working intensely on yourself and then once you overcome that verbal hurdle, you get that W. You can then, and I and I know that it still counts, but you got Arkansas State, you got Toledo. So yeah. if you really wanted to dig deep into some of the younger players and get them game experience and see how they react, you know, in Ohio Stadium with uh, the opportunity to go out and play and perform, you know, more than just a snap or two here and there, uh, but you know, twenty-five snaps, fifty snaps, whatever that looks like. Uh, Jim Knowles will learn a lot more because then we get to the phase of although we we have to win every game to basically be in that final four and to play in a big 10 championship, I think you get an opportunity to continue to move the chess pieces around because we're, I think, Jim Knowles is also no longer playing checkers. It's not just lining up and, you know, and, and doing what we do, you know, playing man on the outside, press man on the outside, and, and not bringing pressure, expecting those four to get home. Jim Knowles is going to, you know, create looks. Um, And so we can pressure, we can cover, um, we can run, you know, bring a five-man pressure out of the same look. And it's going to force an offensive coach and a quarterback for our opposing team to have to figure that out pre-snap because it's all essentially going to look the same. And that's where I say, you know, the A, the B, and the C um, is really where you dig deep into that defensive playbook. But we have to know who's doing it. And we have to have those players understanding an extremely high level. Otherwise, at every level, whether it's high school, college, or pro, a defensive coordinator will not scrap, but keep those, uh, the B and the C or the C and the D on the sideline until he knows exactly who he can trust to execute it damn near perfectly every time.
1: That's what I want to get to, man. It's excellent. That's an excellent take because that's exactly, he's even spoken of that, you know, in so many words, but uh, you know, what really stands out of, you know, to me, about one of the, during many conversations with him is his point where he doesn't just want to confuse the quarterback. More importantly, he said he wants to confuse, as you just pointed out, he wants to confuse the offensive coordinator. He wants to keep them on their toes. And uh, in this modern game, can you do that? I mean, or I mean, you can can you do that on a consistent <laughs> basis? I guess you know you do that.
0: Is um, of course. There's going to be, you know, game prep for that individual scheme that you're going to see that you're going to, you know, they've struggled with this look in the past. So you're going to give them that look and you're going to do a few things out of it. Yeah. I think where you can confuse the coaches um, because it's, a, it's so much a part of the game now, Tim, is the data. What's the data say? Yeah. You know, and I think that's where a lot of fans don't understand what, you know, everyone thinks we just line up and go play. Um, or, or call the de- or run the defense that the defensive coordinator calls. Um, but why is the defensive coordinator calling what he's calling It's You got to get what personnel are they in and how are we going to match it with our personnel? Um, where's the ball at on the field? Is that, you know, are we, are we backed up? Is it on, you know, our, is it our territory or their territory? What's the down and distance? What hash are we on? You know, are we with the wind or are we against the wind? Those are all factors. And that's just, you know, six or seven that I popped off the top of my head, six or seven factors that go into each and every defensive call
1: Yeah,
0: um, that players have to go out and execute. But on the flip side, that a quarterback and an offensive coach has to, you know, also call plays against to try to not just, in, in some cases, you hope they're trying to just survive, but they want to make weight. They want to take advantage of of what they saw on film too. And I think what Jim Knowles has the opportunity to do is, and and I'm sure that, you know, Marcus Freeman and his staff will be studying Oklahoma state film on what they did last year. And then also studying a combination of our players in that system um, and, and where they think they can take advantage of of certain situations. So that's kind of what happens when there is a, you know, a coaching change, but it's, While we prep, there are folks now in the football department who are, um, you know, making their way through that data on who they are and what they do. But then it's the self-scout aspect, you know. And that's where the payroll just continues to expand as you add these individuals or these scouting assistants or coaching assistants that just sit behind a computer mostly. And and while practice is going on, they're behind a computer breaking down the data, trying to find on third and five plus – Notre Dame, and I'm just using it as an example, you know, runs some type of three-step drop, even though it might, you know, it may be out of gun 70% of the time. So when we play them, Coach Knowles and that, and our defensive players will be prepped all week or all off season for this matter, because it's the opener for that situation. And now can they break tendency? Absolutely. But you're going to call the defense situationally and have your guys ready for, you know, Third and five, there's going to be alerts, bells and whistles going off that it's third and seven, you know, and okay, and, and we're backed up. They want to get something. They want to get the ball out of their hands because they're expecting pressure. You know, so we're going to show pressure. We're going to play coverage. That's that's where the, you know, the, the yo-yo happens of, of showing one thing and playing another uh, really comes into play and how data but on both sides, who we are defensively and who they are offensively can come into play, as you said, as the game continues to evolve to more than just, Going out there, running out eleven players, and having them go out and run and,
1: and run a play call. Yeah. Uh, how much does each individual player have to know on you know, defense? What he, what, what, not just what he is doing, but what, what his, what, what the, what he is doing contributes to what they're trying to get done on that particular, that particular defensive call. You know, basically creating leverage somewhere on the field. Yeah. How much do, does each individual Need to know what his role is. I mean, I, I, you know, you know, they want to carry out their role. They know it's important. Uh, the, the, I mean, best, you have to know best. where you fit. You know. Yeah, absolutely. The,
0: I think the best teams that I've ever been on, you know, either you know, collegiately or professionally, is uh, you know, being one eleventh, right? Um, now you know, stars and uh, you know, stars make plays, right? Playmakers yeah. make plays, um, which is going above and beyond what they're what they're called for. They're not. They're not only in their gap. They shed the blocker and make the play for the, you know, the TFL or or the no game play. Yeah. Um, So, uh, but, but I would say a lot, you know, and I think having that the guys bought in, you know, to this new mentality, to this new defense, I think uh, the more upfront and honest that, and, and again, I don't know this about him, at least not yet, is the more transparent and black and white he can be with players. It's like, I'm expecting you to be this for us this year and give that, Cause that becomes a goal for that young man, yeah. as opposed to saying, ah, we kind of see you here. We kind of see you there. You know, that leaves a very murky gray picture for that player. And it's hard for him to go all in because he's, you know, one day he could line up at Leo the other day he could play, you know, be playing uh, uh you know, defensive end, you know, and it's just, you want guys that are bought in and, and become their one eleventh. uh But to, to that point, all of them, and I'm sure the coaches have a, you know, an amazing uh, preparation schedule for these guys to, that, you know, I know coach Johnson does it, especially internally in defensive line. is like, okay, um, I know I'm going to get blocked. How are they going to block me? Am I going to get a single block? You know, am I going to get a down block and then a pull, you know, what are their, uh, the characteristics of their offense, especially in the run game, I would say. Yeah. Um, or are they a turn protection team? Are they a man protection team? You know, when we give a certain look, can we trigger a specific offensive line call, you know, by the center or to turn to, to get from man to turn protection, which means we've got our best player, you know, I'll say our Leo in a one on one situation with the running back coming to block him. Yeah. That is an ideal situation that any defensive coordinator and a player like JTT or Jack Sawyer will lick their chops to be one on one with a back, right? Yes. And it was all to do with us showing one thing, triggering that offensive line call to then create that one-on-one with our superior pass rusher on a running back, you know, and their quarterback standing, you know, what, two, two feet, two yards behind him.
1: Yeah. Let's get to this Uh, Let's get to the crux of it. The crux of it was Oregon kind of snookered Ohio state, but still pushed them around on the defensive line, you know, defensive front a lot that day ran the same play with a little bit of variation three or four times for touchdowns. Are you, are you kidding me? Uh, Michigan um, shoved Ohio yeah. State all over the field for the most part. Shoved may not be the right term, but just physically dominated the line of scrimmage offensively by Hooker, crook. Utah for a while did the same thing. I'm talking about the better def- the better offenses they played, or the more physical offenses they played last year. Um, before you can do all this, all these chess moves and stuff he had to address you have to address the physical aspect of the game right which is Absolutely. i mean and how tough i mean cuz Mickey Marotti was talking about you know uh, the you know a little bit of a change and the way they went about off season this year and i go you know there's that fine line between making it a punishment for what happened last year and 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 between making it a punishment and and then or improving you know what i mean and he said yeah you go you're always working for the future you know what i mean punishment's not part of the deal but when you find yourself lacking uh, in some form or fashion, you address that, right? And that, Absolutely. that has to happen before anything else happens, doesn't it? Uh, or See, it, it has does, to have happened, does, right? It, I think in some cases, because
0: uh, I was going to say, I mean, you know, the NFL, they will say the NFL is a business, but at, at this juncture, and I'm sure it's a topic we're going to get to here shortly, it's like with, you know, with NIL and the amount of money um, and revenue that's generated from college football, especially at a, a top 25 program, like Ohio state, it's a business. Yeah. And, um, I think if I were that coach, uh, especially a new coach, because he doesn't know these guys at least, not, or he is now developing those personal relationships, but I right, think he even pointed that out. Go ahead. Then. Yeah, You can put on the film and, and he'll have one of those grad assistants clip all those dominating physical runs by Oregon and Utah and Michigan, where they impose their will on us. And it is the greatest depiction of what, silver bullet defense should not look like yeah. and what has really not happened very often around here and then i think it allows him the opportunity and again anyone's in the room that or even a player that was getting pushed around whether he was lined up right or you know he got a mental error or just wasn't physically capable of of accomplishing the job should not take offense like they're targeting him because that's conceptually you're conceptually trying to attack the defense you just happen to be the player we're focusing on on this play um and no one should take offense to that And if they do, they're in the wrong business Um, because you're constantly trying to get better and fix your mistakes. And I think it's the greatest depiction of what's not good enough at Ohio State and what's not good enough at Ohio State on defense. And because of those shortcomings, um, with everything that our offense was and what we have in, you know, in Stroud at quarterback really kept us out of the final four, you know. Um, uh, or an opportunity at playing for a national championship or actually an opportunity for playing for a big 10 championship, which yeah. then would have absolutely given us the opportunity to be one of the final four teams. So yeah. it was that and nothing else. Yeah. And so there should be a sense of accountability that should comes and, you know, but the players should get angry. They should want to fix it both personally. And uh, you know, we've taken the step, you know, to bring in Knowles to do it conceptually like who we are schematically. And then I think, you know, and it's not, um, you know, change the world in one year. Maradi will, you know, change, you will change variation. His messaging will change slightly because it might, it might have been a, become, and I'm not saying that it has, you know, a little redundant and lost a little bit of the buy-in and lost a little bit of the merit. So him changing that narrative and, you know, creating his own sense of accountability to be different will then bleed into the players will bleed into the coaches. And, and again, that's that, that, that new toughness that we hope comes defensively where there's accountability on every level and, and everyone can say what that was was not us and it will not happen again. Yeah. Because we yeah. know what's at stake and I don't think anything's changed offensively because yes, there's going to be Olave and Wilson are in the NFL, Ruckert's in the NFL, but we have players younger and probably as good as them filling those roles. So the offense to me, you know, should not skip a beat. Um, And I think that the biggest challenge is how does Ryan day vary what we do because we were so damn good at what we did last year that teams will study us all off season, you know, route combinations, you know, uh, run, run package formations motions, and they're going to have a, they're going to have a beat on that. Yeah. What's so they've caught up to our, you know, algebra two, how do we take the next step and, and be in calculus class now yeah. offensively? Yeah. So that's going to be the same. So it really comes down to Jim Knowles and this defense. And I think, frankly, you know, uh, as a former player, I get excited. Even the, uh, uh, the Rayola kid, you know, cause I played against Dominic Rayola, the Dylan Rayola kid, the, the quarterback. I get excited about these, these four-star five-star recruits and we get them, you know, Sawyer staying home, you know, JTT coming across the country to come play at Ohio state. We get the names we have the coaches that have put players in the National Football League on that same path, and I want to see this four- or five-year era of recruits all step up and all hit
1: in this system. Yeah, and they're going to benefit greatly. We'll talk about this before the season because, you obviously I'm going to have you on before the season starts. They're going to benefit greatly from having so many players who played last year who learned on the fly. Yes. Got that experience. Know, like you just said, know how it's not supposed to look. You know what I mean? And you know, and, and one of the things Jim Knowles is even almost, you know, he's basically admitted he's working now with four and some five stars. Whereas at uh, Oklahoma State, you know, they they did good things defensively, especially last year, one of the elite defenses in the country with basically three and some four stars and maybe some two stars. Yeah. I mean, the talent, like you just said, uh his his own Chess moves can be better, right? I mean, uh, from a defensive standpoint, because of that. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you
0: look at Oklahoma State, and again, I don't know there, but you figure they're getting the leftovers out of Texas and Oklahoma that Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma themselves didn't want. So they get all the yeah. four and five of those territories, and then Oklahoma State has a running at what's left. Um, and, and those were the, and those were the bullets in Jim Noel's gun, you know, and yeah. again, he can be a, he can be a, you know, a shined up Colt 45, but if the bullets in the gun are old rusty duds, what, you know, you can only do so much you can only, you know, so I think that's, uh, there's a s- extreme, sense of optimism, uh, around it. I think I love, and it's maybe even the last, uh, time I was on with you, I just love Ryan Day's, um, understanding I mean, the man wants to win the big 10, the man wants to win national championships and he knew offensively you didn't need to do much with what, you know, heartlines done in that room, what Alfred's done in the the running back room, the offensive line has been able to do and making a switch there, but what, and what with him in charge, he needed to go find someone that can potentially match him defensively. Because if we do, um, you know, confidently with a you know, mild bit of ego uh, in it. It's like, we should run through the big 10.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. I keep telling people they're 25%. If they're just 25% better on defense, you know, it's a, it's major. You know what
0: I mean? As far yeah. as that goes, and frankly, that, you know, they made strides and I think, you know, it's another topic you're going to get to, you know, with the Eichenberg kid, who's, yeah. you
1: know, yeah, go so ahead. Long. I mean, that's what I, I want to know. Does it warm your heart to hear that the guy that, was talked about maybe more than anybody defensively this spring and and coming out of that Utah game, he was the MVP defensively, but Tommy Eichenberg, I mean, Jim Knowles can't say enough good things about him, Ryan Day, et cetera. Just what does that mean to a defense to have that guy in the middle that everybody, he's become a leader. What does that mean for a defense? Yeah, he's the, I mean, he's the glue
0: and, and you, first of all, uh, for that to be being said about him, because there was, there was some good, and there was some bad when oh, I can yeah. Eichenberg, but you know, he's playing, you know, and starting for the first time in his career. So uh, that's going to happen. That happened to me. That happens to James. That happens to AJ. That happens to, you know, every linebacker that ever, there's going to be a little bit of a, you know, a, a glitch until it all just clicks for you. And you could see, um, you know, maybe not necessarily the caveat is, is the Michigan game, but he, you know, it was kind of bad, kind of ugly, then got better, got better, but got better than got really good. You know, the Michigan game conceptually, you know, uh, I think personally, I'm not going to attack any player. I put that on the coaches. Yeah. Um, the players did what the coaches told them, and you have and had that conversation before. There were just some things that made zero sense, and it wasn't players going rogue. It was players being coached to do those things and line up in those places that didn't behoove us defensively. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but he's the glue, and I think there's just a, the same way that I said, you know, a center can change the offensive line call – I think that, you know, a Mike linebacker who, in many cases, and I know that he can line up on an edge, you know, versus trips or, you know, empty sets or motion out with the back, is predominantly in the middle. He's in the middle depth-wise. You know, he's four yards, five yards off the ball, and he's also, you know, in the middle of the defense, right, because there's, a, yep. you know, strong side backer and a weak side backer, um, or in this case, a weak side backer and a 4-2-5. But it's the communication that it's making the call, and it's almost – Although there's that that one eleventh mentality I just told you, these guys still, they've got to get lined up, but if they're misaligned or because I've studied the game as the Mike Linebacker and I know what everyone's job is to do, and, and I've studied enough tape on who we're playing that, you know, for example, you know, my nose tackle, you know, is not in his gap in this formation that we practiced, say, on Thursday of the week to get ready. He's having a brain fart. I can tap him on his butt, move him over a half a man, and get him lined up because we know out of this formation they're going to attack us this way, and that's yeah. why we want them in—you know, head up, not in a shade. Um, but also, it's the it's the synergy with the back end too, you know, where we've seen—you know—we've seen them play very well and physical, and we've seen a lot of miscues where you feel like they can't stop anybody on the back end in the linebacker room. So there's just a lot of synergy and a lot of communication between you know up and back and side to side. Uh, that has to happen. And so to have that guy and have it at this juncture, you know, after five months with, with Knowles, you know, be reverberating, you know, about him as a player uh, it's great to see. And it's, you know, it's truthfully, it's a similar progress that I had, you know, it's, you know, you, you go in and play you, there's some good, there's some bad next year you focus on getting better, you know? Um, And, and, and I think there's enough transparency in that building because of what's at stake that you can tell a player, yeah, man, and this and this off the charts, this and this, we got, we got, we got a lot of work to do, bud. You know what I mean? And it's having that personal conversation, that relationship with the player for the player to, to go, I know coach, even though it's not easy to accept and I'm up for the challenge. And then when you see that happen throughout spring brawl happen in the scrimmage and then, you know, enough so that he becomes that leader because he's not just doing this with his mouth, his actions, you know, both in the weight room and on the football field are, you know, Completely taking everybody and pulling everybody along with him as a leader as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's huge. Hey, let's just jump real quick. I don't want to waste my time because I, I know you're a busy businessman. Uh, are you concerned about uh, your beloved game of college football at the moment? Or, uh, and concern meaning is it going off the rails? I mean, obviously the NCAA this week is uh, after some a lot of. Uh, 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 anguish uh, a week ago. The NCAA is trying to put the genie sort of back in the bottle or get the train back on the track. Let's put it that way. Uh, you know, and all these people, Ryan Day, you know, the, the term they keep using is we need some guardrails, you know, guardrails. Uh, you know, it's the Wild West out there right now. I'm paraphrasing that. He didn't use that term, but he did use the term guardrails. You want some black and white of what's right, what's wrong. You don't, but instead, right now it's just a matter. It's just gray everywhere about you know what you can and can't do with these collectives. Whether you can lure players, obviously you can't. You know, under NCAA rules, you still can't lure players to your school by offering them money uh, off the top before they sign letters of intent, et cetera. But a lot of that seems to be going on right now, both in the recruiting and the transfer portal. And I'm just—I know you're paying attention, you know. You know your your kid's coming up; he's got to probably make more money than you did in the NFL just oh, playing college football. But I digress oh. on that. But are, what's your concern level right now about college football, and can this get uh, can this get straightened out? Well, I think
0: uh, I am concerned. I think that it is. I, I was very surprised that that when you know the rules passed and initially initially created the wild wild west that there weren't at least you know, but like bu- bumpers, like in a bowling lane, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something to keep it, you know, on the rails. Okay. It keep will fall in off. the lane. Yeah. It'll fall off if you go fast enough or do something, you know, extreme, but at least it keeps most, you know, uh, people, you know, on a beaten path. Yeah. Um, I think I have to say, um, I think it's great that there's the potential to have USC be back, but I really want Lincoln Riley to fall on his face out there in USC. Um, because of how outlandish he has used the lack of guardrails, you know, centered around nil and recruiting and promising, you know, perceptively on um, what he's trying to create at USC, you know, more power to him. But it's like yeah. one, co- one coach shouldn't have that much power because that program was what it was, you know, Southern California, Southern California, you know, the university is the university. And so all of a sudden one man you know, who just took a, what, eight-month, seven-month opportunity with no guardrails and just used it and abused it. Yeah. Um, I, re- I really feel bad. I had great respect for, you know, what, you know, Bob Stoops had done in Oklahoma. And I think Lincoln Riley, you know, taking over there, you know, underneath the tutelage of Stoops and continuing that great success, had mad respect for that. And then he just up and leaves and goes to USC. Um, I also think, you know, Brian Kelly, I want to see Brian Kelly get, I want Nick Saban and Alabama as much as I'm rooting for Alabama to just embarrass Brian Kelly at LSU for what he did. Um, so, but that, that I just have to get that out because that's those like my real. Yeah, feeling. that sounded like that was burning in your gut for a while. Go ahead now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just had to get that out because I don't have a platform to you know to say it other than you know in, in around the, the the water cooler. Um, but I, I think there are absolutely guardrails needed. I have an immense amount of respect for Ryan Day um, and Ohio State as a program that could probably absolutely be playing in that sandbox of, you know, showcasing, not not delivering, but showcasing opportunities, you know, in and around the Columbus area and the amount of money and the amount of families that those names just listed in the South stands above the scoreboard, you know, that may or may not have a play in nil opportunities. Um, But yet really sticking to winning 16, 17, 18, 18 year olds, you know, who are still in high school to make the decision to choose us. Yeah, And um, so I have an immense amount of respect for him. Uh, and in any cases, and, and I, and truthfully, like, you know, Mark Pantoni and I, you know, we're on a, a, a you know, first name basis and him and I text a lot. And for the longest time I would go, every time we'd lose a recruit, you know, to the transfer portal, I'm go, oh man, what happened? This five-star recruit two years ago seemed like he was going to be, the man why is he leaving and it's just and truthfully for all buckeye fans you know who might panic every time that happens those guys aren't good enough to see the field
1: yeah
0: Yeah. our you know the, the the stables are so full with talent or the stables are not only full but those full stables of talent have fallen into better graces with the coaches you know based around playing time. And those players, although they're four and five-star recruits, and they're still highly talented and may go on and have amazing careers, the writing is on the wall that they will not play anytime soon at Ohio State. Yeah, And if, or if they do not in the capacity or the role that they think, or their parents think, or some money manager that might be giving them bad advice might think for them. So they're pulling the plug now and go find, trying to find a better scenario, more power to them. But yes, it took, two or three recruits. And I go, man, this guy too, this guy too. Cause it could feel like they come in droves, you know, sometimes it's like three at a time coming right out of spring ball, three dude, two guys, three guys, whatever it is in the transfer folder. Why? Yeah. yeah. After those scrimmage, after that scrimmage, the writing was on the wall based around where they're at in April, that they're going to have a hard time seeing the field or seeing the field at the level that they see fit come fall. So what do they do? Hey, take the easy way out. And, and I think this is for you and me. I'm a little bit old school. And I thought about this earlier only because, you know, my son's in high school or going to be in high school next year. It's like, I just can't fathom. And, and also like going over to my mom's house and just got Buckeye stuff everywhere. It's like, I just can never fathom having a house or a room. Like, you know, most proud moms and dads have to support their son who make this monumental decision to commit to a university after being recruited by 25 programs. You've got Ohio state stuff everywhere. And then one day you don't. Yeah. And you have another, you know, that's like, oh my God, I've driven a Ford for 25 years. And then I pull up in the driveway with a Dodge. Yeah. And everyone just goes, what? You know, I just a Durango. I Go ahead. That mentality. <laughs> it is so, again, I understand it's, you know, they have one opportunity um, that they need to see that through. And yeah. it just, I, I couldn't fathom. And that's my old school approach, but I know the game has changed. But I mean, the long story, I've given you a long answer to, you know, pretty easy. I think the guardrails are absolutely necessary. Um, I, But I, on the flip side, I absolutely think once those guardrails are set, players need uh, to, you know, make their decisions based around what's best for them and their family uh, to get a great education, to compete for a national championship, to potentially play in the NFL because you have one And it's, I mean, those are a lot of, you know, life-changing decisions that are made in a five to six year window, you know, from the time that you're 17 until you're 22. Um, So, and there's, and there's a lot of things that skew it. Um, But it's, I I think the NCAA should have come out with better bumpers or guardrails initially, even though, even if they were very wide, at least you know the field you're playing on as opposed to just saying go roam. Wherever you want to roam and do whatever you want to do. And, and I think trying trying to reel that in by the NCAA will lead to programs that got comfortable with the success that they found with no guardrails. And may you may see some sanctions coming, you know, in years while they still try to potentially cheat the system and not abide by those guardrails in every circumstance.
1: Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Matt Wilhelm. Matt Wilhelm, thanks for joining me. We're running out of time here. I'd ask I you 10 more questions, but I keep thinking, man, what if CJ Stroud had jumped into the transfer portal this year? You know what I mean? After finishing the way he did and just go, okay, you know, basically his, uh, you know, his, his, his agent or whoever's looking after his welfare. Okay. highest bidder. better. You know, kind of like you've seen that a couple of places, you know, like with Miami University of Miami, you know, throwing money at the kid at, uh, was going to look like was going to transfer to Ohio State basketball wise, and ends up going to Miami. I mean, and caused havoc down there. But it, it would it would have been an interesting scenario that would have really gotten people's attention, wouldn't it? If uh, I know Caleb Williams left Oklahoma and went to USC to follow his coach, but imagine Bryce Young and CJ Stroud in the transfer portal right now, waiting for the highest bid. Yeah, but That'd I be think crazy, that wouldn't it? to that point, to that point,
0: I just think um, what program. If CJ Stroud was really trying to better like to better himself, like, and I'm and I'm asking this convert, I'm asking this to you, and I'm asking it to, to Buckeye Nation. I'm asking it to any football, college football fan that listens to your podcast. Where in the country could CJ Stroud have found a better situation than he has at Ohio State?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm talking about, but see, I'm talking about free agency, meaning go to get the best money you can get, not oh, unless and, you're the best and, situation, but, you know? But, but here's the thing. Because you there's, see, guys, in the NFL go to places that aren't necessarily better situations. Go ahead. No, there's
0: no doubt. But I guess to my to my point, and again, I think you know, coming out of the NFL draft that just ended, you know, the two gentlemen you mentioned, CJ Stroud and Bryce and and Bryce Young, it's Stroud has is like plus two hundred or plus two fifty, and and I think Bryce Young is you know plus four hundred to be the number one overall pick next year. Oh yeah. So while you may dabble and make a couple of million dollars, the the amount of money – well, first of all, they're going to have the highest guaranteed contract of every, any rookie in next year's class, whoever yeah. goes number one, right? Yeah. So it's going to be you know, $27 million guaranteed, right, with yeah. you know, uh, you know, 14 of it the day you sign your contract, okay? There's yeah. no nil contract that can touch that amount of money. So why play with a scenario that allows – and there's – at Ohio State, you're going to have the best weapons to throw to. You're going to potentially win a Big Ten championship again, which is, again, uh, opportunity. Marketing dollars will follow the championship games. If you beat Notre Dame and you win the Big Ten championship, you're going to make the Final Four. So
1: all eyeballs are on you again. Yeah, Matt Wilhelm and I ran out of time there, ladies and gentlemen. But once again, I appreciate Matt Wilhelm joining the Tim May podcast. Uh, We'll have a lot to talk about all through the summer as things develop along the NIL front, along the football front. You know, Ohio State's recruiting is going to keep uh, rolling. It does appear. I mean, with Dylan Raela in the, in the fold now uh, from a commitment standpoint for the 2024 season, arguably the best quarterback. You know, he's, he's just going into his junior year in high school, but he's expected to be maybe the perhaps the best quarterback available for the 2024 class, and he's committed to be a Buckeye. You know, things are just going to get more interesting from here. So, for Matt Wilhelm and for myself, until next week for the Tim May Podcast, we'll see you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So, I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.